Good morning, everybody. I'm glad to be able to be here this morning and worship with you and talk with you about some things. This morning, I'm going to talk about some things that Satan says. When we were kids, most of us played a game called Simon Says, where you're only supposed to obey or believe the things that Simon says, but not do the things that just the person says. Well, we're living in a world where we're playing kind of a twisted version of that, where Satan is taking the place of Simon. He's delivering his lies in, a, in greater volume and in a wider way than he ever has before in history, you know, in all of the times that we were growing up and the things that we experienced through social media, YouTube and TikTok, through streaming of all varieties, movies and television and music and books, our cell phones, even in our schools, at work, and the friends that we have. Unfortunately, children are the most vulnerable to hearing these things when they hear them from so many different directions. The media is modeling an accepted set of beliefs, a kind of a world culture, and that's more exposed to kids than it ever has been before. Their peers are enforcing these views with, through peer pressure, and even their adult role models, teachers and administrators are helping to enforce these new rules of how to live. The front is surprisingly uniform. You can turn in every direction and you're kind of going to get the same exact story. And we as adults and mature Christians, we're not immune to it either. Sometimes we find ourselves subconsciously absorbing some of these beliefs. Well, Satan is the father of lies. And when I went to study this, uh, I looked at a bunch of videos, read a bunch of books, studied some with Abby and, and on my own, and I looked at the lies that they were kind of calling out, and I added some of my own. I ended up with a list of you know, over almost 100. So it's just too many to cover because it's so wide a, a perspective. But I'm going to talk about a few fundamentals and a few tools that we can use to help identify and defend against these. And then I'm going to talk about the ultimate antidote, which is, of course, the truth. So starting with number one, Satan says the truth is not true for everyone. Well, that's the thing we've kind of heard a lot, and, and it comes out in many different ways. And one of the ways that we hear it is when people talk about my truth. This is my truth, or this is true for me, or this is what I feel to be true. And it really comes down to saying that the truth is subjective, that it, it changes from person to person, that each person has their own version of what is true. Now, the, the impact of believing that lie is kind of subtle, which is why we find that a surprising number of people believe it without, without us noticing because it only shows up when certain conflicting situations arise where, where it needs to come into action. So some people believe, or when you believe that, you find that you believe that Bible, the Bible and Christianity is true for some people, but not true for others. And that morality, gender, sexuality, justice, those things, if you don't believe that there is an objective truth, a moral code that we all need to follow, and some people don't even believe that there are things that we as human beings must or should do. And it comes down to, is it right to try to convert others to be Christians? There was a study done recently where uh, people who identify themselves as Christian 
of a recent, of the, you know, I think it's Gen X or Gen Z or the latest generation, uh, who identify as Christians, they answer that question, no, it's not, it's not right for us to proselytize or, or teach other people. You know, that we have our beliefs and that they can live in their own little bubble of truth and that we shouldn't necessarily break that because it's just one way of looking at truth. So we find that even children in our classes, we can talk about truth to them, we can teach truth to them, but they can be hearing that that's just a truth, even though we think we're teaching what truth actually is. So the core question that it comes down to is, what is truth? And truth, a very simple way of saying it, is truth is what correlates to reality. Truth is what is real. Uh, there is an objective truth, a truth that comes outside of us. That's true no matter what we think or feel. And a subjective truth, that is our subjective opinions, what we have, what we hold to be inside, where each of us can have a different view. And objective truth is true no matter who is saying it, no matter who is hearing it, or how you feel about it, or how it is said. And we can help kids understand that. We need to help them understand it clearly by giving them things to hold on to, to handle it. So when we talk about objective truth, we can start with something that we all know, that vanilla ice cream is the best flavor of ice cream. And we all know that, of course. <laughs> so that is a subjective truth, certainly, because we each have a different opinion, even though vanilla is the best in my, in my world. But let's take a, a real concrete example. I brought a coin. I had to take special care because I never carry these anymore. But if I flip this coin, now, is there a reality to this? Is this coin heads or tails right now? Is there a real truth to this? Does how we feel about it affect this reality? No matter how much I wanted it to be heads or tails, can I affect that or change it? Does it even matter if anyone observes this? If, we, if anyone even looks at it, if anyone even knows whether it's heads or tails, is it still one or the other? Is there a truth here? This is the kind of truth that we can learn that, that is real, dependent, no matter, no matter what people say about it. I'm not even going to look at it, so you'll have to live with mystery. <laughs> this concept, this tool of understanding things is critical to understand. In fact, we call it critical thinking. It's applicable to everything, and it should be applied to everything that we see and hear. Is this objective truth or a subjective preference or opinion? In fact, um, the Bible tells us that spiritual maturity, part of it is exercising our senses to determine the difference between good and evil through, through use. <laughs> we practice this, and we become mature, the ability to divide the difference between these things. So the earlier that kids understand this, the better it is. And it's not necessarily taught in schools, and, it's, and we may not think about it in so fundamental a way. But the earlier they understand it, they can even apply it to difficult cultural pressures and things that are happening now. Ask themselves, is this subjectively true or objectively true? The problem is it becomes harder and harder to teach people that the longer they're subjected to the world's view. If you ever look online, you can find questions where people are asking people, uh, what is a woman? 
And there are some people who answer that question very quickly and easily and don't even think about it. And there are some people who cannot answer that question, who will struggle with what exactly constitutes being a woman or how you define what a woman is. And that is hard to get around. And you may have to go back again to, to study what truth is in order to piece by piece overcome the built up crust that we get from being exposed to this subjective truth that is out there all the world. There, there's another name for what my truth is, and that's your opinion. Another way that that lie shows up, that the truth is not true for everyone, is faith is the opposite of knowledge. That is, atheists will say this, and sometimes even Christians will say this, and it sounds like faith is really wishful thinking, is a desire, real strong desire for something to be true but it's not based on real knowledge. Now, the impact of this, it shows up in that sometimes we say platitudes like, like all things are possible with faith. There are some things that faith doesn't have the ability to make things true. No matter how much someone believes that they will be reincarnated, the strongest possible faith, that won't make it true. No matter how much I believe that that coin was heads or tails, I cannot change reality with my faith. There was another recent study that showed that 41% of young people who claim to be Christians, again, believe that faith is a matter of personal opinion, not objective truth. Our kids can learn here in church that um, a teacher that I was looking at online said that she found that kids in class had learned that, that you're not supposed to, you don't have to think at church. I go to school and I turn my mind on and think. When I come to church here, I don't have to think anymore. I just, you know, God, Jesus, the Bible is the answer to every question. And here's not the place I think. Here's the place where I just accept and believe. At, that school is where I think. And we need to overcome that and make sure that we're teaching our kids that, that they need to think here as well. So that can kill your desire to, and your ability even to spread the gospel to other people because if you believe that it's a matter of personal opinion, why would you even share it with other people? And it makes it impossible for you to defend your faith. God calls on us to give a reason for the hope that is within us. And if you believe that it's just something that you subjectively choose, an opinion you have, then you can't defend the reasons why you believe it. And in fact, you don't even think that's necessary. It's so fundamental to the way that we believe. Biblically, God asks us to believe in him and we, that we can't see. We believe in him that we can't see because of the things that we can see, that they point to him. When he gave the law in the Old Testament to the children of Israel, he said, I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt, who brought you out of slavery. You know who I am. Here is the law that I have for you. He teaches us constantly in the Bible to, to look at what we can see, to look at evidence in order to establish the things that we can't see to establish our belief. If you find yourself believing that faith is just an opinion or uh, one of many things that one can hold, that's so fundamental it undermines your faith com completely. And in fact, you may not really believe the way the Bible wants you, teaches you to believe. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul talks about why we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And in fact, if Jesus is not the Son of God, if he was not raised from the dead, then we're a miserable people. Our sins have not been forgiven. 
We should not accept this. That is in a call to an objective truth to establish why we believe. It's not about blind faith. It's not a desire to, for something to be true or just something to pick out of it. Our faith is based upon true and real factual evidence. And that's how you can teach it to children. The Bible is written at about a third grade level. So kids at that low a level can read and understand this. You know, have them read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and say, is this a subjective truth or an objective truth? Paul is very direct about it. Uh, is the Bible teaching us that we need to have blind faith or that there's a reason for what we believe? In fact, if it's true, we should put our trust in it because we should be believing things that are true. We can't make them true by believing in them, but we should believe in them if they are true and not if they're not true. So our second lie that Satan says is follow your heart. Now that you hear in many different directions and many different pathways as well, but it sounds like be true to yourself. Be, your, be the true you. You know, you do you. All these different sayings that you'll hear in every direction, be your authentic self. It tells us that our heart is the most reliable guide for what truth is. Again, that morality is subjective. Now the impact of that is very is easier to see because our heart is driven by our desires. And it's a mixed bag of good and bad desires, and we all know that. If you're driven by your heart, you will not always do what's good. You will do what you want to do, what your desires are driving you to. And if there's no objective standard, then no one can be judged. No one can be told what you're doing is wrong or corrected and turned into the right direction. And of course, the basic truth is, if my truth will eventually conflict with somebody else's truth. I'll believe that things ought to be one way and someone else will believe they should be different. How will you determine what truth is in that situation? Will it be the strongest person, the loudest person who wins the battle of what's truth in that situation or who gets the most people to agree with them? Now this is pervasive in, in every media. Disney is a huge pusher of, uh, of this and that's aimed directly at children. Uh, YouTube, you will, there will always be a market for this kind of teaching because people always want to hear, you should do what you want to do. <laughs> That's a very popular thing to sell and to teach. And we just need to teach our kids, ask our kids, is it really possible to live this way? What would happen if you told your kids to just do whatever they felt like it? How long would it be before they would, you know, hit someone or take someone's toy or tell someone, call someone a bad name. If we followed all the whims of our heart, we know that we would get into trouble. In fact, that's what laws are for. If we followed all the whims of our heart, we'd likely end up in jail because we know we can't live this way practically. And it's just logically true. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The truth that the Bible tells us is our heart is a dangerous thing. <laughs> to trust it is to be led by something you cannot trust. That is, in fact, deceitful in every way. And 
And the world culture is trying to teach us that we should trust this most of all. We're so good at justifying what we want to do that we will rapidly go off the path. Every divorce that happens out there is because somebody followed their heart. It will lead us in the wrong direction. Another way this shows up is if you love me, you'll affirm and support everything that I'm feeling. It's, it redefines love as a, as a feeling. We're told that if we love somebody, we'll never make them feel uncomfortable or bad. And if we do, then that's not love. That's a very difficult one, especially for children and for Christians, because we are taught to love. <laughs> we are taught to love one another. And we're taught to make people feel good. And this directly takes those understandings and makes it a conflict for children. You know, do I do what's right or, or do I make everybody feel good? Because I don't feel like a good person when I make someone else feel bad. And they tell me I'm not loving them and I'm not doing what's good. It's very difficult for Christians to wrestle with this, how to do it right. If there's no objective standard, again, then no one can be judged or corrected. So naturally, love would mean supporting someone because it would be arbitrary for you to say that anything was wrong. And there is pressure in schools, again, at the lowest level, to not only approve of things like that, but to celebrate um, things that are wrong. And we need to teach kids to ask good questions about what definitions of words mean because things are changing in the way that in a way that uses the same words that we use in ways that are not right. So the basic question is, what do you mean by love? What is love? Well, 1 Corinthians tells us that love rejoices in the truth. It never rejoices in error. True love would never tell someone you're doing well when you are in fact wrong. Love is self-sacrificially looking out for another person's good the kind of love that Jesus showed on the cross. That's what true love is. Not just making people feel good, but when the world redefines it as a feeling like that, then that contorts, that bends love into a feel-good kind of emotion. And we need to understand that love is not that way. Love sometimes does make people feel bad. And Jesus is our, a great example because when he met the rich young ruler who asked him what he needed to do to be saved, after Jesus talked with him, he loved him, the scriptures tells us. And then he turned around and he told him the one thing he needed to hear, the one thing he would not do. And he made him sad. He made him turn away. And Jesus, that is how Jesus loved him, by telling him what he needed to hear in order to make things right. Well, there's going to, this is going to happen to our kids in school. Uh, you're going to go to school with someone who last year was a boy, but this year identifies as a girl. And you're going to be asked, you're going to be pressured to accept that truth and to use that person's preferred pronouns. And we need to teach them to use the tools that we've taught already, that to ask yourself, is this an objective truth or a subjective truth? Is it really the most loving thing for us to tell a lie and affirm a person's subjective feelings when they aren't true. Is that love? Unfortunately, I mean, you can see how complicated this could get. I mean, 
it's asking a, a young elementary school child <clears throat> to push against the entire culture around them, their teachers, their administrators, all the pressure in the world, all the media they're seeing will tell them to do something different. Um, this is one thing that has made me think that if I had kids now in elementary school, I might, might not want to send them to a public school because I don't think it's even fair. How do you teach someone and support someone to, to resist that on a daily basis in that kind of pressure that young? But that's certainly everybody's choice and something we need to consider. But one thing that we all need to do for kids and for ourselves as parents, as as adults, is when somebody tells you that they, you aren't loving them, that doesn't necessarily mean that you aren't loving them. When a parent tells a kid that you can't do something, you know, the, the main, the wild card that a kid will say is, you hate me, you never let me do the things that I want. No, I don't hate you. You're just upset because you're not getting what you want. And that can make people upset that doesn't mean that you're not loving them. And you need to have the courage and the surety that love and truth doesn't always make people feel good, but it is the right way to do things. And it, it really doesn't make sense, this approach, because it is an applied consistency. Consistently, if you follow it, it, it doesn't make sense that everyone can be right because they won't accept this viewpoint as right. You know, everything is right except for someone who believes that there is an objective truth. That's not right. But it's really just a mask for a standard of behavior that the world wants us to behave at. And it will be approved or disapproved. It will be enforced by the people around us. And we just need to recognize that there is a truth there. And it also shows up in this shape. Um, you are enough. You that within yourself, you have everything you need. All your problems and your struggles and the bad feelings you have, they come from outside of you. But if you really just looked inside and found the truth, you would have everything you need to accomplish everything you want to accomplish and to, do, to, to turn out all right. Now, the impact of believing that is that you start to, you have to look at yourself, why are you special if everything is inside you that's correct? Well, you're special because of the abilities that you have because of your looks or because of what you do, the things you accomplish. That's what makes you special in that world if you believe that lie. And it really leads you to believe that you can save yourself, that you don't need any help. Unfortunately, reality often comes in there to tell you differently. If we rely on ourselves that way, it's a pathway to depression even, to to feelings of anxiety, because if, if it's all within yourself and you realize that you can't handle it, well, there must be something wrong with you because the world is telling you that you're enough for this. And if you feel like you're not, um, then, then that can put an un, a ridiculous amount of pressure on you since it's not true. Older people have a tendency to not think, not believe this so well because they've experienced enough life to to have it beat out of them. <laughs> they know they're not enough. But when you're younger, you can kind of build yourself up and use this as a temporary way to get through your problems. That sets you up for a big fall. It also uh, makes pride and confidence in yourself becoming the one primary anchor and the measure of your self-worth, which requires you to pump up your confidence, to make yourself absolutely sure, because that's 
how you establish yourself in the world. You need to identify yourself as a particular thing and do and be that. It tells you that you're unique and special and valuable, not because, well, in, in reality, you're unique and special and valuable, not because of any qualities that you possess or anything that you do, but because that you're made in the image of God. This, this lie is the opposite of the gospel, actually. It says that the primary problem is outside of you, but the gospel tells us the real problem is inside of us. We are the broken people. We are the people who chose to sin, to go against God. We have lost ourselves, and we cannot save ourselves. Only God can save us. It took the sacrifice of God himself in the form of Jesus to pay for our sins. The, this belief says, why did Jesus die in the first place if all the answers are within you? We need to teach kids uh, this by just asking them basic questions like, does every human being have value? Is that an objective truth or a subjective truth? The, the truth is, if, if you believe that evolution resulted in human beings, that we are a random accident instead of being created, then what makes someone better than another? What's make, what makes people valuable? It's completely subjective. Even if society believes that's true, what happens when society changes its mind, as it has done in the past with Jewish people or people of color or different races? When, the, when society changes its mind about who is valuable, does that change who is valuable? Or is there a real, enduring, objective value to people? And kids can see that uh, because Genesis chapter 1 tells us the objective truth that we're created in God's image and that he gave us that special gift by right of creation. So when we feel that we're not enough, that we can't measure up to the challenges in front of us, that's not something that we need to fix. That's an important thing that we need to understand because if we fool ourselves into thinking we are, we're just holding up, up for a big crash in the future. Uh, and when you tell people this, it can sound like you're taking away the anchor that makes them feel valuable, the thing that they hold on to for personal identity. But you're really just saving them, again, from, from future problems because confidence in God is the only true anchor that can hold you through all the storms that life has. Paul was able to look at his thorn in the flesh and say, not only to accept it, to say, I can live with this because of God's grace, but in fact, it's better for me to have this weakness because in the face of this weakness, God's strength can show even stronger through me. That's the kind of belief that can bring us through these things. Now, the last one I'm going to cover is Satan says that a good God wouldn't judge people. We hear all the time, don't judge, and it's wrong to judge. And who are you to judge? Well, this extends that to not only are we not to judge, but in fact, God won't. I mean, the impact of that is we won't show God's glory and goodness if we don't show his judgment, his justice. We won't truly love people because we won't correct them. We won't help save them and teach them what the truth is. So when we teach this to our kids, the basic question is, is there a right way and a wrong way to do something? This using an example of, of anything. Is there a right way and a wrong way to do it? If there is, then there's a standard that you need to be compared against. And you can learn to do the right and the wrong thing based on that standard.
We cannot teach or correct unless we judge against that standard. And on the surface, this is a really appealing sounding uh, lie because we're so used to hearing don't judge. And if God is loving and we've changed the definition of what loving means, well, he would never make us want to feel bad. He wants us to be happy. If, God, uh, if there is no real truth, it's different for every person, then God certainly wouldn't judge us according to different standards. Uh, it's the natural consequence of buying into the lies that came before this, is to believe that God himself will not judge us. But the Bible, of course, doesn't support that at all. It supports the justice of God as part of his love. And that's easy to teach kids because you can go, let's say we play a game of soccer with them, where I'll be the referee. And I'll tell one kid quietly to not follow any of the rules, but let everyone else do the right things. And he runs around out there in the field, picks up the soccer ball, runs over and throws it into the goal, and I don't call anything. Now let's get the kids together at the end. Was I a good ref? You know, the real core here is what does good mean? A good referee judges according to the rules. A good God shows that justice and love. So who wants me to make a judgment in that case? The people who are doing the right thing. Who doesn't want me to judge? Well, the person who's doing wrong because he's really benefiting from it. And we find that a lot of times the people who are most adamant about this are the people who know that they're going to be subject to God's judgment and therefore aren't real fans of it. Well, the antidote to all of this is, of course, the antidote to all the lies is truth. And I studied this a lot. And when you look at these kind of lies and you get immersed in them, you start to feel pretty bad about where the world is going. And that's why God tells us not to focus on those things, not to pile upon ourselves the bad things of the world, but to focus, to meditate on what's true, what's noble, what's just, pure, lovely, of good report, Philippians chapter 4. He tells us to focus on the truth in order to combat these things. Ken used to say, we are not a people who say, look what the world has come to, but look what has come into the world. You know, the darker the world is around us, the brighter we are to shine. The truth of these matters is that our heart is not a reliable guide. We can't trust the subjectivity of our own desires. Proverbs tells us, or Jeremiah tells us, that it's not in man who walks to guide his own steps. Proverbs tells us that there's a way that seems right to us, but ends in death. We can't trust other people to tell us what's right. Romans chapter 1 tells us that when mankind exchanged the truth of God for a lie, they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. They not only do things that are against God's law, which they know, but they give hearty approval to others who are also doing things against his law, which is what we see today. We can't rely on ourselves, and we can't save ourselves. But the good news is that there is a truth. Questioning that's not new. Pilate asked when he was talking to Jesus, and Jesus said in John chapter 18, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? They searched for what it was in the past as well, but they didn't claim that the source of it was yourself. That seems to be what we're doing now. John chapter 8, verse 32 says, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
John chapter 14 and verse 6 says, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. John chapter 17, verse 7, when Jesus was praying about his disciples, he asked God to sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. It is objective. The claims of Jesus and the Bible are based on objective reality, and they can be determined to be true or false as a foundation to our faith. And there will be a final judgment. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus talks about how he will separate the sheep and the goats in the final day. Second Peter, Peter says, the day of the Lord is coming, but God isn't slow about it. He's patient because he wants everyone to make things right with him. Not only is God good and just, but loving in that he made a way that everyone can be forgiven. And he wants everyone to do that. So we need to help our kids stop playing Satan says and ourselves. We always need to ask if something is objective truth or a subjective preference. Always ask people what they mean by their words since they keep shifting. Uh, be aware of the lies that are coming from every direction and shine a light on them. We need to be ready for the judgment day and to aid other people so that they can be ready. If there is anything that we can do to assist you to make things right today, to make 